is Brandon House Live. Whether the issue is law, science, economics, history, family, social issues, education, religion, government, or national security, Brannon brings the issues of the day into clear focus through the lens of a Judeo-Christian worldview. And now, here is your host, Brannon House. All right, good evening. Glad you guys are with us. I'm going to be joined tonight by Joe Allen. Joe Allen is going to join me. He is an expert on transhumanism, just like my buddy Patrick Wood. Joe Allen is going to join us. And then we're going to be joined by, uh, let's see, who else is in my book here? Doc, uh, David Payne is going to join us. Have you guys heard the latest news? Uh, Pine, sorry. Thank you, Logan. Have you heard the latest news? The latest news is U.S. warns allies Russia could be part of a nuclear weapon. Could put a nuclear weapon into orbit this year. Can I tell you something? Can I let you in on something? Nuclear weapons in orbit is not a new thing. It's been there and gone on for a while. So I don't know why all the panic and hysteria about that. That's not new. So, folks, this is not new information. For whatever reason, many within the U.S. government want you to be afraid that there's a nuclear strike coming. Uh, but, again, that begs the question, from whom? Is this a false flag event? Is the government, the deep state, uh, agents provocateur? are going to be involved in doing these kind of things, and then they're looking for who they're going to blame it on, and they're already apparently ready to blame Russia. I'm not saying that Russia, if backed into a corner, wouldn't do something, particularly if NATO keeps pushing us like they are, but it's almost like they're setting up a boogeyman to then be able to blame. And the question then would be who actually really did it. But the U.S. is warning. Also, again, here's another one. U.S. warning, allies, Russia could put a nuclear weapon into orbit this year. That's already been done, folks. That has already been done. North Korea supposedly has satellites circling two of them, one or more, with potential nuclear weapons on board. Then you got Iran. Then, then you have the word that Russia might decide to test, do a space test of a super EMP. Now, that's interesting. A space test of a super EMP. Hmm. Oops. That didn't go so well in part of the grid or all the grid goes down in the U.S. I don't know. The whole thing just seems, again, like very funny timing. Particularly when you have the movie by former President Barack Obama and his wife, Leave the World Behind, that's about what? The power grid goes down and cyber hacking. Hmm, I don't know. We'll talk to, uh, we'll talk to uh, David Pine about that. And then we're going to be joined by Colonel Manis, Colonel Rob Manis. Remember, he was the commander of Kirkland Air Force Base, uh, and as well as worked in the Pentagon in the nuclear division for so very long, including helping to write the manual, the nuclear manual for the nuclear football. Let's talk to him a little bit about that. We'll have to be careful. There's some things he's definitely not going to be able to talk about, but that's a very interesting topic in of itself. We'll get to that. Joining me first, however, is none other than Joe Allen. I think Joe joins us from just outside of Washington, D.C. tonight at CPAC. Joe Allen, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you for joining us. Brennan, very good to be here. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. Great to be with you. Um, what is the, I, I have a lot of questions for you, but you know what? You are always studying things and preparing and giving a warning. What's one or two of the big issues that uh, Joe Allen has been studying since you were last on that our audience needs to know about. 
You know, one of the things that has really taken my attention and a lot of my reporting of late is just simply the developments at OpenAI. And that is, of course, including the rollout of their text-to-video AI. It's called Sora. You type uh, a prompt into it, out comes a fairly photorealistic video. This is important on a technical level. It's important on a cultural level. Uh, but maybe the most important element of it is that you now have dreams on demand. There are other AIs that do very similar things. This is just simply uh, a, a more sophisticated, more advanced version of things like Runway ML, things like that. What it means, I think, is you know just a descent farther and farther into a state of digital delusion. You already have liars. We've had liars forever. You already have propaganda. Propaganda has you know arguably been with us forever. Uh, what is new about this is the acceleration of the production of propaganda and of lies, of things that aren't real and things that people will by and large turn to either not believe or not knowing that it's not real or uh, simply sink into their own digital worlds, uh, you know, in which you have a genie that produces fantasies for you on demand. Now, that's coming out of OpenAI. OpenAI, of course, produced uh, the GPT technology, chat GPT, uh, the, the text-to-image uh, generator, Dolly. It's very important uh, for those reasons. OpenAI is also very important because of their ultimate mission, uh, as articulated by Sam Altman and others in the company, that they want to create artificial general intelligence, AGI, right? Ar artificial godlike intelligence. And Sam Altman is also, at least in the past, has been pretty clear about his views that the way to survive in a world in which a superhuman artificial intelligence is, uh, intelligence is now the most intelligent being on the planet is to merge with it, whether it's through screens, virtual reality, or as he makes very clear, uh, some sort of brain implant or maybe even nanotechnology. All of these things coming out of OpenAI, I think, should be alarming for all sorts of reasons. Uh, you know, they're partnered with one of the biggest companies in big tech, Microsoft. Microsoft has been propelled to a $3 trillion valuation, mainly on the back of the open AI products that are integrated into all Microsoft products. Uh, they're also really important now, Brandon, because it's come to light that, you know, uh, open, an open AI representative announced this at the World Economic Forum in January, that open AI will be partnering with the Department of Defense. Uh, the, there was some rumblings uh, just prior to the announcement. Uh, the Intercept had noticed a change to their language in their uh, the, basically their policies, their terms and conditions, whatever. Part of it was that uh, OpenAI products would not be used for warfare or the military. Uh, Mid-January, uh, someone at the Intercept had taken note that that language had been removed in a rewriting of the, the of the policy. Uh, very soon after that, I mean, within days, OpenAI announces at the World Economic Forum that they're partnering with the DOD. And then the, the, the publication, uh, Jane's, uh, you know, Jane's Intelligence Services, the kind of, um, you know, for, the, the, they're at the forefront of reporting on uh, military uh, matters, be it, uh, you know, technical or political. And uh, Jane's 
reported about two weeks ago uh, that, yes, that is moving forward, that OpenAI is now in talks with the Department of Defense. The Department of Defense had, or had actually reached out to them uh, to uh, for them to pitch use cases uh, for uh, the, the DOD. It's purely speculation now as to what sorts of AI, OpenAI would be, uh, you, you know, delivering to our military. But the significance of it is really that, you know, OpenAI now, just like Microsoft, their parent company basically now, uh, and just like Amazon, just like Google, just like uh, Meta or Facebook, they have making, they're making moves to be, you know, integrated into the military industrial complex. And so as we're talking about a company uh, that is generating a, an enormous amount of wealth. They're generating uh, technologies that are very socially disruptive for all sorts of reasons. A company whose mission statement is to create God in silico uh, is now just like all of their uh, big tech peers. Now the company is being integrated into the military industrial complex. Uh, it, that's important for a lot of different reasons. We can go into them if you'd like, but I do think that uh, open AI should be, uh, you know, under the, um, the the scrutiny of anyone who wants to understand this technological revolution that we're going through and who the key players are, what their intentions are, and what the possibilities are when military use cases are on the table. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would like to go into that more, please, because as you know, and I'm sure by now you've watched Tucker Carlson's interview with Mike Benz the other day. Uh, and talking yes. about how the internet was used to uh, promote free speech and other things around the globe, and then that was used for their goals and their agendas, uh, basically uh, using free speech as a mechanism by which to expand the internet, new ideas and things, but they ultimately had an ultimate goal. And then they turned that back on the American people, the NSA, the CIA, the FBI. So it's, again, a color revolution. Whether you fool around with elections or whether you fool around with directly with elections, like that we know the CIA has been doing for years and years, even the late Senator Jesse Helm back in 1984 <clears throat> was complaining uh, about the CIA getting involved in elections and helping communists down in Central America. That was in 1984. We know that uh, we have a congressman from Florida. I have the letter from December 2020 writing a letter to uh, the CIA director, act, uh, acting CIA director and others about the need to investigate some of these voting machine companies and their potential involvement or connection to the voting machine companies. So uh, there's a lot of things to question in that regard. But then you add the color revolution concept onto the internet uh, and using the internet and, and messaging and disinformation. Again, they always accuse us of disinformation and misinformation when they're the ones involved in the psychological warfare against the American people. I think uh, uh, Barack Obama signed, uh, you know, papers that allow the federal government now to use propaganda against the yes. American people, right? So we've got a lot going on here. And then you add this incredible interview with Tucker Carlson and Mike Benz saying, look, the NSA, uh, the CIA, the FBI, these groups have been involved with Google and all these companies for a long, long time. So how does all that fit with what you're talking about? Can you, can you, can you flesh out the conversation and details by Mike Benz with Tucker Carlson and what you're just saying and how those marry together. Yes, uh, you know, the Mike Benz interview was phenomenal. Uh, I'd seen Mike Benz uh, lecture and I actually have had a, a long conversation with Mike Benz about his, uh, his subject matter 
uh, had many questions. He was very, very generous with his knowledge. And, uh, I, I, you know, but really that Tucker Carlson interview, the synthesis was uh, inspirational, let's say. Uh, if uh, to, to look at, just to summarize at least some of the parts of that interview, uh, which was very wide ranging, the partnership between various NGOs and government organizations and big tech to suppress free speech, that has uh, a longer history than he described, not because he is not aware of it and not because he hasn't been talking about it, but just simply because uh, there was only so much time even in that hour. If you think back to the Patriot Act uh, and the, in the aftermath of 9-11, that had its precursors in legislation that was initially drafted under Joe Biden, actually. Uh, he was uh, largely at the helm of this uh, in order to surveil uh, uh, American dissidents, mostly kind of, you know, the white nationalists and people who were under the scrutiny of the federal government uh, after Waco and after Ruby Ridge, things like that. Uh, and, and then that kind of sat dormant until 9-11 was a catalyst for the uh, for the federal government to enact the Patriot Act, which then opened up, uh, you know, unbridled surveillance on not only foreign uh, populations, but also on American populations. At the time, the justification was that we we're looking for the bad Muslims, uh, but it's pretty clear that that was being used for a lot of different reasons. So this partnership between the federal government and big tech, that all this was uh, released by Snowden in, uh, you know, especially the prison uh, program, uh, prism, not prison, if I, if I um, was not uh, clear on that. And, uh, you know, Snowden's revelations showed that companies from Apple, Microsoft, Google, uh, everyone basically but Amazon, you know, at the time Yahoo was still big, AOL, all of them were providing information and even back doors uh, to the NSA to surveil the American populace. Uh, what Mike Benz then, you know, where, where he picks up, and I, and I think the reason he picked up there is because it's the most relevant to right now, is you've got the, the, this partnership, and a lot of it is driven from, uh, you know, by the Atlantic Council, but this partnership between various elements within the sort of deep state or the administrative state and various NGOs and the military and the Pentagon uh, using big tech, basically the way Benz describes it is that, you know, they're kind of uh, applying their leverage and, and you know, a coercion on big tech. Uh, and he portrays big tech as a sort of neutral entity, at least uh, in a lot of his reporting, not always. Uh, I would disagree on that, but that's uh, beside the point um, that what we saw in the aftermath, you know, in the run up to Donald Trump's election and in the aftermath of Donald Trump's election is that the tactics employed by the CIA openly on foreign populations, everything from surveillance uh, to the, you know, the fomenting of uh, insurrections, right, uh, to the, the, the kind of censorship and also the PSYOP um, uh, activities, that that was turned inward in a, a major way, in a way that was much more overt, uh, in a way that was much more concentrated to the American populace in order to put down the Trump movement. Uh, he, he said uh, something that really struck me about that interview, Brandon. He said that the two most censored events in U.S. history were the 2020 election and COVID. And I don't think any person who was on the Internet during, you know, 
from 2020 forward uh, doesn't know what he's talking about. It, that's exactly what happened. You had algorithmic processes that were uh, unleashed onto the American populace uh, by way of big tech uh, under the design of both the Pentagon and their various proxies in the NGOs. And what every person who was on the internet themselves were throttled or completely banned from various platforms or because they just simply saw it happening around them. Uh, the way I've described it, the way I describe it in my book, is a form of cultural eugenics. The, you know, the, 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 a lot of these people are driven by this notion that, that culture is just an extension of the genome. And there's a kind of eugenic process in which unwanted or undesirable memes, which are kind of the equivalent of genes, uh, are you know, winnowed away at the behest of the powers. And, and that is what Mike Benz is describing. He described in such exquisite detail the mechanics behind it, the players behind it. Um, where I see the overlap between what he's talking about and, and, and my own field in transhumanism and also the, the various sort of transhumanist projects in big tech is that there is this desire for control, this hubris that uh, permeates all of these organizations. And of course, there are those uh, kind of transhumanist elements within the Pentagon, within DARPA, and uh, you know the Aspen Institute. They're pushing this stuff all the time, and Ben's went into great detail about their relationship to the Pentagon. I think that if there's any one thread, uh, without going on over long, uh, if there's any one thread that ties them together, it is that sort of desire on the part of uh, the people in power to exert unlimited control over the course of history, uh, over the, the, the kind of cultural and even to some extent the spiritual states of the people in their, under their, their sway. And the, the, I guess the willingness to just completely obliterate anything that stands in the way of their objectives, that is in many ways at the core of the transhumanist movement, even the gentlest among them believe that they are going to overwhelm humanity 1.0 with humanity 2.0 and then perhaps even life 3.0, artificial mm. life. Uh, what, what Mike Benz was talking about in, in, in the relationship between the U.S. security state, big tech, and uh, the populist uprising that they put down by way of digitization or, you know, digital manipulation um, is, is, you know, much more nuts and bolts. You know, he, he, he's describing in detail things that are happening right now on the ground. Uh, if you look at the bigger picture, though, these are stepping stones to much broader transformations, much deeper transformations. And if, if I can respectfully depart from at least some of Mike Benz's premises, uh, at least that are implied, he has a lot of faith in Elon Musk, I believe, to uh, be a counterbalance to all this. And um, he also, I think, sees social media as a, a very positive means by which Americans can alter or impact American politics. And I see the rationale for that. And again, I have tremendous respect for, for Ben's, his intellect and his position. But I think that uh, just getting to the point where your speech 
your mind, your communities, your ideas have been so thoroughly digitized that by using algorithms to basically delete accounts or throttle or block them, you're able to sever those ties with the push of the button, so to speak, uh, that you have already given up so much of what makes us human, which makes us powerful. Uh, and it, it is very fragile. And I think that it's already a mistake to become so hyper digitized. And in, in regard to Musk, I mean, we've talked enough, we've talked enough, Brandon, you know, my position there. I think that Musk, he's not a, a comic book villain, but he is definitely not a comic book hero and his transhumanist inclinations, which are very overt. Uh, I am completely against his vision of the future is antithetical to my own. I agree with you. Let me ask you before we go to David Pine and then to uh, Colonel Manis and some cl other clips and breaking news stories tonight. What do you see coming in 2024? And what role do you think, if any, will AI play? Are you concerned about artificial intelligence being involved in messing up our stock exchange, a run on the stock exchange, or a crash of the stock exchange, bank runs by misinformation being put out by AI? Uh, what about the election? Uh, how concerned are you with AI for how it might impact the election? How about AI for maybe starting a world war? Uh, many would say we're already in World War III. It depends on who you're talking to, whether it's the new way of warfare, the old way of war warfare, you know. But aside from that, uh, escalating the situation we have now, how could AI play into that with making the problems worse with China and Russia and Iran and others? Uh, how could AI be used by the BRICS banking systems, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, United Arab Emirates, Iran, and others, that want to put down the U.S. dollar in that as the world reserve global currency, the petrodollar. How can AI be weaponized in ways that most Americans are not thinking about right now, including fake news, fake information? Because it is getting very hard, and I don't know how many of the folks out there watching track, you know, things that are really AI. They're not real humans. These are not real people. These are not real video clips. This is AI generated, AI people. AI audio, what, I mean, all this plays into the scenarios I'm laying out. Yes, uh, and, and, you know, just thinking through what you're talking about, everything from uh, algorithmic manipulation of stock markets uh, and, and especially the latter point, the, you know, the generation of deep fakes uh, or online bots. Um, uh, my screen is frozen. I'm going to keep talking in the yeah. assumption that you can still hear me. I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. Brandon. Yep, we can hear you. Okay, uh, I'll just talk to the frozen screen. I, all of those are really, really important. It's impossible to know what will be deployed and what will happen, uh, but I think that there are some pretty good hints. You know, as you just mentioned, it's increasingly difficult to tell the difference between artificial intelligence generated material and human generated material. There are ways you can detect it using AI, uh, ironically enough, if there's any real doubt, any real confusion, but even those systems are uh, not really 100% accurate. And in, insofar as public opinion goes, one really good, well-placed deep fake uh, could completely wreck a campaign 
even if it's then proven that it was a deep fake. You see it all the time with the New York Times or Washington Post. They post, for instance, the fire extinguisher that supposedly slaughtered Officer Brian Sicknick in, um, uh, during January 6th. Uh, I still know people who believe that, and it, well, it, I can show them 100 uh, corrections by the New York Times. They'll always, in the deep part of their mind, believe that he was beaten to death by MAGA patriots with a, a, a fire extinguisher. So a, a really well-placed deep fake of that nature, I think, could have tremendous impacts either on politics or just the, the broader culture. Uh, the, on the smaller scale, though, you know, just little bitty, uh, you know, bot generated. Again, just to go back to what I said a moment ago, we already had lies. We already had propaganda. We already had a kind of shallow, easily manipulated digital culture. So all that's already there. All those are problems. What deep fakes adds to it is that you, you can then generate uh, BS at scale by way of bots. If you have sophisticated bots, you can actually have bots that have conversations with people, either on social media or via text message. Uh, you already see this sort of thing happening with, uh, I can't remember the campaign now, I think it was in New Hampshire, uh, where they had, you know, they had a robocall that was AI, so it had a little bit more sophistication than the typical robocall. Uh, all of this is going to be in play. How much of it is going to sway the election? It just really depends on uh, the, how aggressive the people deploying it are, because the tech is there. Uh, it's just a matter of having the will to use it and to, to use it nefariously. Um, and it also, uh, I, I think it, it depends on kind of the, 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 the skepticism of the populace itself, which I, you know, in my younger years, I guess I, I had a little bit more hope. Uh, Post-COVID, I, I have a lot less hope as to how many people will actually be able to reason through something like a, a massive deep fake or a bot swarms or anything like that. AI is going to be important because AI will amplify what was already there. BS, propaganda, and an easily manipulated digital system. Um, if, if something really tremendous were to be released, uh, something that was completely fake and that was not detected as a deep fake, uh, and you know only a few uh, you know way you know uh, uh, sidelined uh, you know kind of schizoids were able to identify it, well. That's the real nightmare because then you wouldn't even know. And I think the scariest part about all of this, Brandon, as far as the uh, inability for the average human eye to detect AI-generated material versus human-generated material is that we could – I could be – AI generated. You could be AI generated. The audience, you know, we could be speaking to nobody and all the comments are filling up with bots. It's not like that, I don't believe. But the more sophisticated this gets, fast forward to uh, 2027, fast forward to 2030, fast forward to 20, 2045, the singularity as Ray Kurzweil predicts, that line between virtual and actual will dissolve. I, I think that many uh, Many resourceful and intelligent human beings will make it through uh, as resourceful and intelligent human beings have made it through many crises. But I do believe we are descending into a, a kind of digital delusion that AI is only amplifying and will continue to amplify. And I think that digital delusion, as it spreads, uh, will make the kinds of uh, BS propaganda campaigns we saw during COVID uh, look like child's play. I think that we're in for much more going forward. The specifics, I, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't dare predict. I just know that the technologies that make it possible to fabricate reality, uh, convincing enough for 50 to 60 percent of the population, it's already there. 
And so it's just a matter of time, in my opinion, before it's deployed in ways that, that really shake things up. And hopefully it will be something that can be corrected and accounted for. But again, if it's good enough, you don't know if I'm fake. Uh, so, and this it's a, it's a, it should be a startling prospect for anybody who's really thinking these things through. And, and I think that on the positive note, People must hone their critical thinking skills and they must be much more suspicious of the powers that be and, quite frankly, must be much more suspicious of the kind of opportunists on our side of the aisle uh, who will also be doing this, uh, even small-scale actors. So that's uh, if I can leave you with one positive thing, your brain is powerful. Uh, for the love of God, use it. Don't turn it over to the algorithm. Absolutely. One final question then. What would you be expecting to see? I mean, we won't hold you to it. You could be right, you could be wrong, but it's your theory, it's your idea, it's your gut. What right now are two or three things you think you might see happen before the end of 2024 that concern you, that uh, greatly concern you? You know, uh, as far as uh, you'd mentioned warfare and the possibility of, uh, I don't know about starting wars, but I do think that generating uh, deceiving uh, video and and audio uh, evidence, right, of uh, of an attack or whatever to stimulate another side to launch an attack. That may have already happened, by the way, in a number of situations that I, I wouldn't dare uh, go, you know, touch on just because I'm not sure myself. But uh, that could be very, that would be very easy. People talk about this all the time that, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of um, just you know, a, a whether it be a, a bombing, uh, whether it be just physical violence, you know, images of physical violence uh, that were to set in motion, uh, you know, a military strike that then turned out was on the basis of something totally phony. And it would be too late at that point. And the government that had been fooled would be very would not be inclined to admit that they'd been so easily hoodwinked uh, in uh, the election process itself. I, you know, you already have the problems of, you know, of, of having uh, voting machines that are potentially tampered with uh, via the Internet. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on that. But, uh, I, you know, the, the new uses of A.I. that even the, you know, the Silicon Valley is talking about. Uh, you know, the generation of deep fakes, which you see Donald Trump, uh, you know, whatever, beating his wife uh, or audio of, uh, you know, Joe Biden saying, I'm going to nuke Russia or whatever. Uh, these sorts of things are already possible. And I'm actually really shocked that they haven't been deployed. Uh, those are the sorts of things that would be super disruptive. Just any kind of fake material that would cause a crisis and uh, in some way smear uh, one of the candidates or sway a voting population to have this opinion or another, a black man being beaten by a white mob, uh, then it turns out to be a deep fake, but half the people just never really find out or believe that it was a deep fake to begin with. And I, I had one other final thing to this, though, and this is, this is why it's such a complex situation, because I think that if I could just simply wave a magic wand and do away with all this, I would do away with any AI that could deceive a human being. It would just be done, gone. It would be either magicked away or made illegal. Well, those those gears are already turning, right? You already have, uh, you know, uh, all the major tech companies, uh, Google, Amazon, TikTok, OpenAI, they've all signed on to say that they would do everything possible 
to uh, decrease the amount of, uh, you know, kind of uh, disruptive or damaging fake information online. Uh, we've are, we know that they've been working with the White House and with Congress for a while now to craft legislation on AI safety. OpenAI is partnering with China to craft AI safety legislation. The EU is doing all this, including disinformation generated by AI. That's all well and good if it operates in the way that they're saying. But as we well know, that is always there's always a subtext. And I, I really do think that as you have a, a chaotic brew of AI generated material or material people suspect is AI generated, that the willingness to turn to big tech and the willingness to turn to the government, which in more and more becoming a kind of singular blob like entity, um, that that willingness will then confer even more power than, you know, big tech and our government already have over our information environment. And I, I think that it's very likely that the, the legislative wheels that are turning now to get rid of malinformation and disinformation and deep fakes and all of that um, will just simply be used in much the same way that Mike Benz described uh, with the uh, destruction of the the, 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 the curtailment of the populist uprising uh, that was the 2020 election. And it would have been there in much greater force in the response to COVID. Basically, justifying their actions, their censorious policies uh, on the basis of the danger of AI deepfakes that their companies are making possible. Uh, it's, a, it's an old story, but uh, sadly, it's one that's being repeated time and time again. Mm, JoeBot.xyz. JoeBot.xyz. The book is called what? <laughs> Dark Eon, Transhumanism, and the War, war Against Humanity. Uh, you know, all of this is surface level. If you want to go deep, uh, Dark Eon, Transhumanism, and the War Against Humanity, that's A-E-O-N, uh, you'll find no shortage of uh, depths to plumb in the book. Indeed you will. It's in my library. Thank you as always, Joe Allen. Appreciate your being here. Thank you very much, Brandon. I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Joe Allen checking in. Check out his website and his book, Dark Eon, right? Very important stuff. All right, we're going to be joined by David Pine and then Colonel Rob Manis. And I have some video clips and news to report to you as well tonight. Joining me now is David Pine. He is with the EMP Task Force. And I think he's just uh, um, been elevated in a position there into the uh, EMP Task Force. David, welcome to the broadcast once again. Thank you for joining us. And I think congratulations are in order. You, you've, uh, you've got a new title, I think, at the Task Force, correct? Yes, yeah, so I was just promoted to uh, executive vice president, so I'm the uh, the number two person at the task force right now. Well, congratulations. So. Well-deserved. Absolutely. I want to go to this headline right here. The New York Times and then Yahoo's picked it up as well. U.S. warns allies Russia could put a nuclear weapon into space or into orbit this year. Now, I think this has been something that's been a reality for quite some time. I don't know why the news media, the U.S. government is so um, eager to put this out there over and over. So many things they didn't want to talk about when our friend, uh, the late Dr. Peter Vincent Pry was alive. Now they all want to talk about cyber hacking, the FBI director warning of cyber hacking and, and all the lights are flashing for terrorist attack. And now we've got to worry about Russia uh, putting a satellite in space that has a nuclear weapon on board and orbiting. Dr. Pry was sitting at this news desk recording his TV show, filming his TV show, talking about the two satellites that come over America 
that belong to North Korea with a better than 50% chance that one or both have a nuclear weapon on board. There's also the likelihood that Iran might have something. But this is not new. I have guys that are retired from the military that have told me that uh, point blank, and they were in a position to know this is not new. Nothing to get excited about as far as this being new. Could it be concerning? Sure. But I guess what I'm starting to worry about, David, is, and I'm going to ask Colonel uh, Manis about this as well, is if there isn't a narrative being set. Because here's another article. Biden administration was working behind closed doors to dissuade Russia from testing a space weapon. Uh, Here's the issue. Why all of this talk again about Russia, Russia, Russia? The timing is very interesting. We're moving into an election year. Uh, we are in election year. We're moving into the to the uh, further into the year as it gets closer. We're going to be, I think, seeing more and more talk like this. Is there potentially a fall? I'm just asking a question. Is there potentially a false flag being set up here, and they're looking for a boogeyman to blame it on, or could NATO be stupid enough to push Putin into a corner so he does actually do something? What do you think we're looking at here? It's definitely not a false flag. This is a, a very real threat. Uh, this is the first time that we've uh, seen a news story corroborating uh, the existence of uh, Russian super EMP satellites. Uh, according to the story, it's uh, you know it's prepping to launch, prepping to be tested. I mean, that's that's really horrendous. It's one thing to have uh, a super EMP satellite uh, orbiting above above the U.S. in polar orbit that could destroy the U.S. with no warning and with no attribution. It's quite another when uh, the Biden administration is warning that, that Russia could actually test a super EMP satellite in space. And as we discussed, I think in our last program, um, this, this new Russian super EMP satellite um, is not designed to destroy satellites. It's designed to destroy uh, entire countries. Uh, it's designed to, uh, if there's more than one, it would be uh, one would be as likely assigned to NATO. Uh, one would likely be assigned to the uh, continental United States. Uh, Peter Pry, before his before his tragic death, uh, 2022, wrote an excellent piece about how uh, a single Rus- Russian EMP could uh, take out almost all of NATO in in a single blow. So um, yeah, so the timing is very sus- suspect for sure with uh, Ukraine. Uh, military aid um, kind of bottled up by uh, our great speaker, Speaker Johnson, who's taking a stand to put America first and, and do what Trump's trying to do and end the war. Uh, as, I, uh, as I've discussed uh, for, for since the war began, the key to ending the war is simply to cut off all aid to Ukraine and they'll be forced to make, make peace. Uh, but until then, uh, the war isn't gonna end. But this is, a, this is an existential threat. It's, uh, it's one of the greatest dangers we've ever faced. Uh, but it is a threat that we 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 already face from North Korea and Iran, and, and I suspect it's very possible that Russia and perhaps even China as well already have these super EMP satellites deployed, and either we're not being told about it, or the CIA is covering up the threat uh, to downplay the actual dangers uh, to the American people. Mm. And I want to make sure the audience understands. I wasn't saying this is a false flag in that this is not a real threat. It is, I believe, a real threat, as Dr. Pry was warning and you've been warning after uh, he passed the flag to you um what i'm saying is i the fact that you have the u.s warning over and over now all of a sudden the the government wants to seem to talk about this and put this in the press what i'm saying is not that there's not really these weapons available to be used uh the question is is the u.s gonna push is nato gonna push putin into using one of them because we're doing something to you know make this problem worse or 
could we see an attack on the power grid in some way that is not Russia, but it's blamed on Russia, and this is all statecraft to get the public ready to blame Russia when it wouldn't, it wasn't Russia. I'm not a defender of Putin. I'm not a proponent of Putin, but I do know how this seems to be playing out. And again, I'm concerned the deep state, the CIA, any of these groups could allow something to happen to our critical infrastructure. And now they've got to set up who's going to, who it is they're going to blame when it wouldn't have been Putin at all. Is there any possibility in that? Well, I think your question is very insightful. Uh, your first question, uh, trying to ask, uh, you know, is this is this something that uh, you know we're pushing Putin into doing? Uh, I mean, that's what I that what Peter Pry was warning, you know, at, uh, from the from the rooftops, uh, you know, for the last twelve months of his death, that he saw this Ukraine war as the as a clear and present danger of uh, the outbreak of an unnecessary World War Three. A nuclear war with the, the mightiest nuclear superpower on earth uh the russian federation they have four and a half times more nuclear weapons than we do um they're prepared they have uh the most massive national missile defense on the planet they have uh, 10,000 abms uh, mostly s400 and s500 uh ultra modern much more advanced than we have and uh you know it's possible they could even have space-based missile defenses but uh they have nuclear command bunkers they have uh, 40% of their population, enough blast shelters could uh, protect uh, 60 million Russians uh, in deep underground subways. They have uh, uh, underground nuclear command centers uh, that can house at least 60,000 of the, uh, Russia's top elite, 33,000 feet underground, uh, which are survivable uh, with, uh, from even a direct nuclear hit from a U.S. nuclear missile. So uh, we're, we have nothing like that. We have no defense against DMP weapons. We have no defense against nuclear weapons. Uh, it's official U.S. policy that we not defend the United States homeland against Russian or, or uh, Chinese nuclear missiles. So in the event uh, nuclear missiles were in the air that were detected by the president of the United States, there was nothing he could do to actually uh, protect and defend tens of millions of Americans from dying in, in an instant. Uh, so this is a dereliction of duty on uh, a massive scale. But you know, the story is, uh, what, what we've been seeing in the press is that uh, this only be, uh, came, was revealed to, um, to the Intel committees, the House and Senate Intel committees, uh, sometime last month. Uh, so they've only been sitting on this for, uh, for a matter of uh, a month or more, several weeks. Uh, and, uh, and Turner uh, reportedly, uh, Mike, Mike Turner, who's the House Intel uh, Intelligence Committee chair, uh, was very concerned that Biden was doing little to nothing to try to uh, dissuade Russia from uh, deploying and perhaps testing this uh, this deadly weapon. And uh, all I've been able to see that Biden's uh, been trying to do is he's been trying to uh, go through China and India, which are staunch Russian allies, uh, to tell them not to do this. Well, of course, China and India have zero interest in, uh, in Russia not deploying this weapon because it only strengthens them uh, as Russian allies, uh, part members of an en uh, our enemy alliance, um, you know, they want Russia to be as strong as possible. And this war in Ukraine has primarily strengthened China, but it's also strengthened Russia as well. Russia has is now uh, spending at uh, Soviet era levels. Uh, they've expanded the size, you know, 6% of GDP, which is about double what they used to spend before the war. And they have uh, increased the, the size of their military to Soviet era uh, levels as well that we haven't seen since uh, uh, the Soviet days uh, at the beginning of World War II. So, uh, Russia is, is poses a tremendous threat. China poses a tremendous threat. North Korea and Iran do as well. 
They all have uh, EMP, super EMP weapons, whether they're deployed on satellites or atop ICBMs, and they could destroy us uh, within uh, 30 minutes. So um, it's time that we have a little bit of political courage. We need to elect a new president, uh, President Trump, and we need to elect members of Congress that don't try to, uh, to minimize this threat. Yeah, and so what, what is a rehearsal for a super EMP in space look like? If the U.S. is worried and they're trying to dissuade Putin from testing an EMP weapon, I mean, how do you test an EMP weapon in space, David? Can't be done. You test this, the only way you test a super EMP weapon in space is operationally. Uh, super EMP has such a, a massive EMP effect that uh, it's going to it's going to do tr massive damage. Now, uh, maybe it's possible if you did it at the, the highest reaches of orbit that, uh, you know, it wouldn't have tremendous effect on on Earth. But, uh, you know, at, at the altitude that most satellites fly, it would have a, a large effect on Earth. Um, and of course, low Earth orbit above the U.S. at around 280 mi 280 miles, it would could take out our entire grid, and every and, and severely degrade our nuclear command and control uh, and communication system to make it uh, very difficult, if not um, uh, infeasible, for us to uh, launch a nuclear retaliatory strike. So going after our nuclear triad. So do you think that this is, there's any truth to this by the Biden uh, administration? Do you believe there's any truth that Putin is interested in testing an EMP superweapon? Or is this, again, propaganda for another political reason or purpose? I do think the testing, the testing idea is a ploy. Uh, I, I, think this, I think the CIA, I've, I've spoken to a CIA uh, veteran, a friend of mine, is by the name of Chet, uh, Chet Nagel. I think he served in the Reagan administration as well. He, he was uh, a pilot during the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, so he goes way way back during the Cold War. But uh, he stated that he uh, he assessed that the way the story was being spun by this, you know, it, it had the trademarks of a CIA operation to kind of downplay the actual threat. You know, to say this is not an imminent threat, this poses no threat to the American people. Both of those are false. Uh, this this threat is is imminent. It's either you know operational or it's uh, uh, probably could be operationally deployed within a matter of days or at most a few weeks. So the reality um, is that the administration knows Putin is not planning an EMP, super EMP test in space. He's not planning to do that. And it's meant to get right. the American people to, I mean, if they didn't report on it, would the American people even know about it? So I guess I'm, what I'm asking is, why would they even put this out there? Most, I mean, are they afraid someone like me is going to talk about it? I mean, I highly doubt it. I don't think I, they think I reach enough of the country. So why do they need to put out a story that, oh, don't worry, it's only a test. I mean, here's the CIA. It, well, it will only be a test. It's not the real threat. Well, if there is a real threat and they're trying to convince you that it's not a real threat by telling you it's only a test, where do they think the American people are going to hear that this is a threat from? Who? Who's going to tell them that other than a few of us? Yeah, well, I mean, that's it's uh, kind of a head scratcher, to be honest, because on <laughs> one hand, on the one hand, they're saying it's this isn't a real threat. It's not a present threat. It's a prospective future threat uh, that could materialize potentially. Uh, then, of course, they do everything they can to make it materialize by uh, sending more as much military aid and advanced weaponry to Ukraine as possible. Uh, which they then use uh, to attack uh, Russian strategic military targets, including nuclear bomber bases and uh, nuclear naval bases in Crimea. 
to uh, get the Russians to escalate and nuke Ukraine and uh, perhaps nuke us as well. So, uh, but then, but then this this uh, whole test idea comes out, and uh, you know, just demonstrates they don't even they don't even know. I mean, obviously, it takes someone more educated in, in nuclear weapons, uh, such as or myself to be able to to get through the propaganda that that you know a, a test is just not feasible it's not something that that Russia is going to do i mean they, uh, the test is going to be uh when they just you know it's going to be destroying the us the test will know? be when they actually do it and this is not a test which again that's right. begs the question is the greatest threat to america russia or is the is the greatest threat to america the federal government continuing to push and escalate the problem with Russia. At the end of the day, have we seen the enemy and it is ourselves? Yes. Yes, the greatest threat we face today is from uh, Biden and the and the deep state, uh, Biden in particular. Uh, every every neoconservative Republican that's trying to go uh, nuclear war with Russia and China and, and expect that they're not going to nuke us back, you know, or that we can fight a conventional war with Russia and China and they're not going to respond with uh, massive cyber EMP and nuclear retaliation is a clear and present danger to the United States. It needs to be removed from office. I mean, ideally, we could we could fire them all and have an election tomorrow and, and elect, uh, you know, rational, sane leaders like J.D. Vance, Mike Lee, Rand Paul and, and a, a good, you know, a couple dozen Republicans in the House. So, um, yeah, you're I mean, it, it's really hard for me to say as someone who's uh, been hyping the, you know, uh, or shouting the, the Chinese and Russian threats for decades. Uh, but I actually do believe that Biden and uh, and the deep state are, are greater threat at this time because they're deliberately provoking Russia and China. Which, to which begs the question why? Which begs the question why? Are, do they want the destruction of America? Have they have they been bought and paid for to do this? In other words, are these are these men? Is he a Manchurian candidate taking money from China? Here's the money. Now you go do this. That'll set up the justification for us to do that. And no one will be the wiser when we get to defeat the great Satan America. Is this a big setup? Is this a an orchestrated, manufactured crisis by both sides? Well, I think Biden, in answer to your question, I think Biden actually is a, a Manchurian president, just as Trump has alleged. Uh, he is kind of uh, working. I mean, everything that he's done is, uh, has been in furtherance of, of uh, strengthening China. It's what, you know, what others have called the China first policy and America last policy. Uh, he's been weakening our military, disarming our military, sending our weapons to Ukraine, uh, you know, depleting our, our munitions, making it impossible that we could possibly win even a conventional war with Russia or China. Leaving our border uh, wide open for CCP and Islamists to come pouring over? Yep, 100,000 uh, Chinese uh, military-aged men have crossed our borders since uh, October of 2019. Uh, so that's enough to, to man an entire uh, PLA group army. And... and uh, the vast majority of those men are likely uh, Chinese special forces and saboteurs uh, who would, uh, you know, sow chaos and confusion behind the lines, perhaps even uh, employ nuclear weapons uh, emanating from U.S. territory. So, um, yeah, that is that is a huge risk. But uh, in answer to your other question, I don't believe that uh, there is a conscious plan to destroy the U.S. on the part of Biden and the deep state. I think they're really just that stupid. They, they really believe their own uh, stupid, uh, you know, foolish ideology that 
the U.S. is the most powerful, uh, you know, superpower on Earth, and we can push other countries around, no matter how many nuclear weapons or how many more nuclear weapons they have than us. With you know, Russia and China, of course, are uh, superior to us uh, on a broad range of weapons, unconventional weapons, including nuclear missiles. Um, both strategic and non-strategic, uh, super EMP weapons, hypersonics, nuclear hypersonics, uh, obviously biological weapons. We've, you know, we've experienced that and chemical weapons uh, right down the line. So, um, yeah, it's uh, we're we're led by by idiots and fools. I think is the bottom line. So let me ask you about two more articles before I go to uh, Colonel Rob Manis. Look at this one. We didn't forget you, uh, U.S. to send. Five aircraft carriers to the Pacific. The administration wants to show force to assure allies it's not overstretched. But here's how that can backfire. Tell me about this, please. Yeah. So the U.S. has 11 aircraft carriers in its arsenal, and it's it's really unprecedented. I, I've uh, during my lifetime, I, I don't recall ever seeing, perhaps with the exception of Operation Desert Storm, five air, aircraft carriers surging to uh, to one region. You know, typically we have. Uh, two, two, maybe three aircraft carriers deployed in, uh, across every fleet, uh, with uh, the main uh, areas, of course, being the Mediterranean, uh, the Indian Ocean, the Atlantic, and the Pacific. Um, and, uh, and and this is, I, I guess, a demonstration of force to, to show. Again, it's probably electioneering. It's probably Biden trying to show that he's he's uh, strong militarily and and on foreign policy, and that he's he can't be uh, pushed around. I guess. <laughs> Uh, and it's, man can't it's very, climb, the man can't climb the short steps on Air Force One. He can, he can <laughs> definitely be pushed around. Yes, he can. Yeah. So uh, five aircraft carriers. Uh, the, the, now the problem with this is, if, if you send all the aircraft carrier, you know, half the aircraft carriers in the fleet, nearly, uh, if they're if they all have to come back to port at the same time for uh, you know to uh, operation and maintenance and and to to refit. Uh, then that's going to take them out of action, and that that would be a perfect time for uh, uh, for China to uh, blockade or invade Taiwan because uh, those those uh, carriers uh, would not be available for several weeks. So again, I have to ask: Are things being done on our side deliberately to give the advancement and the opportunity to China? Well, one of my colleagues that I work with on the Committee of uh, Present Danger, uh, China. Um, uh, has actually remarked that uh, Biden's national security team is basically China's dream team. So uh, a number of them, I would say a majority of Biden's senior national security officials have direct ties either to China, Chinese business uh, businesses or lobbying firms, uh, lobbying firms that do uh, a lot of business with China. So, uh, yeah, I, very... I think you just answered my question. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's very possible that they uh, they're being they're being fed ideas uh, to the detriment of the U.S. from Chinese agents. I mean, if if as even Dr. Phil's now coming out and saying, we played the clip last night, the U.S. government is trafficking, sex trafficking, and labor trafficking children, and they know it. We've had the government whistleblowers on here. Tara will be on here with me next week. She was in the government. She was dealing with this found out about it, heard about it, checked into it and said, it's true. And she became a whistleblower, testified before Congress. If the government of the United States will knowingly sex traffic little children into the U.S., labor traffic children in the U.S., let military-aged males from the CCP pour over the border, let Islamic military-aged males pour over the border, not do anything to stop the fentanyl that's killing 
tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of our Americans every year provided by China with the precursor chemicals by China to the drug cartels, you know these same people are that corrupt would more than happily take the payoff to do the bidding for China, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think they, they, they're not reckoning that China, uh, you know, in the event of war, China plans to destroy us either with nuclear or biological weapons or perhaps EMP weapons. So, um, you know, I think they assume that any uh, any soft takeover from China will, would be mostly benign or benevolent, or perhaps they'd leave us alone if uh, if they simply knocked us off the, the geopolitical uh, chessboard and forced us to withdraw our troops uh, back to America. Okay, one more article. North Korean missile used in Ukraine was packed full of U.S. parts. A full 75% of components documented from the wreckage of a North Korean missile fired by Russia appear to have come from U.S. firms. Um, is that because our firms are so filled with spies? Are they giving the technology? Is it the technology that it's referring to or the actual parts? It's the actual parts. Uh, I mean, it's both, really. Uh, so, uh, as you as you well know, North Korea is a is a Chinese uh, satellite, uh, and so they get uh, all or most of their uh, you know military um, technology and and, and parts uh, and you know economic subsidies from from China, and so uh, Russia. Obviously, we've been sanctioning them pretty quite heavily since 2014, since they invaded Crimea. So. We can mostly rule out that these parts came from Russia, although it's possible that some could have. The vast majority of these parts clearly came from the People's Republic of China. So it's it's yet another uh, yet another reason to uh, uh, underscore this massive betrayal that we've had. Uh, you know, we've been sold a, a bill of goods uh, with the, the whole concept that was embraced by Republicans in, in 1999 and 2000 when we passed permanent uh, normal trade uh, relations with China, most favored na uh, nation status. That was uh, originally passed by 1979, but the Republic, it was Republicans that made it permanent and then signed uh, a, an accession agreement for the uh, China and the WTO, uh, something Bush did in 2001, uh, very shortly after he came, came to office. So uh, this begs the, the question, how many North Korean nuclear missiles, how many Chinese nuclear missiles have uh, you know seventy five percent or even fifty percent of of their parts and components U.S. made, so that uh, in the event of war, uh, you know, and and tens of millions of Americans are killed from uh, Chinese and North Korean nuclear missiles, uh, you know, these these will be missiles that were in part made in the United States, essentially made with U.S. parts, mm. and that's very it's very troubling, and this is a huge issue. It's a huge revelation. Uh, we know that the stratospheric balloon had also had hundreds of parts that were U.S. made, and that was also a nuclear-capable platform that could have uh, destroyed, uh, you know, killed millions of Americans. Whoa, 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 are you talking about the balloon that flew across America? That's right. The Chinese balloon. Say that when you say that again. That Chinese balloon that flew across America was a what? A, what kind of platform? A uh, Chinese stratospheric balloon had, a, uh, you know, was nuclear and EMP capable. They had a weapons, uh, a weapons payload of up to 2,000 pounds and a whole ton. Basically, uh, a light bomber, you know, during World War II, light why bombers. I, why am I just hearing this? Well, maybe you didn't read my article back in February in the National Interest. Apart I'm not apparently, sure. I didn't. Or did we talk about that on the air? Because if we did, I sure don't remember. 
Well, I think I think we probably did. This was in February 2023 that I so, wrote. The, so it's been art. a while. But just a remind our yeah. audience then, remind me, you're saying that actual balloon had actual explosives on board. No, I didn't mean to infer that. I, I'm saying that uh, that it was it was capable of carrying multiple, actually multiple okay. hypers. Okay, that's why I thought I was hearing something new. But it was capable no. of carrying them, you're saying? Yes, it was. So yeah, it, I could it, carry it. So it could have. I mean, we let it come over here. We let it come across. We did nothing. It didn't have explosives. But you're saying it could have. It was equipped to be able to carry them if they wanted to, right? That's right. They could have uh, detonated a nuclear weapon above uh, U.S. Stratcom, Stratcom headquarters, uh, and that could have, you know, that could have been the first strike uh, for, uh, you know, a, a full-scale ICBM and SLBM um, so nuclear first. If they did nothing about it the first time and let it spend what two three days floating across the country, if it was a whole week. A whole week. Seven days. Yeah. If they didn't care then the first time, are they going to care under this administration the second time? And the second time, as you just said, will that be the first strike? Because this time it will actually have the explosives on board. Woo. Well, yeah, and our and the EMP task force actually did a paper where uh, these stratospheric balloons, uh, if there were a number of them, uh, they could be detonated outside U.S. airspace and still take out all of our, you know, with EMP effects, take out all of our regional uh, military bases, uh, you know, like hundreds of miles in uh, from the coast. So uh, I had to think of my on my uh, website twenty. 16, 2017, 2018, somewhere in there, I had an article by Peter Pry on EMP being delivered by balloons like this. I remember. Yeah. Okay. Here's it David's. Was very precious. Mm -hmm. Here's David's website, dpine.substack.com, dpine.substack.com, dpine, D-Y-N-E, dpine.substack.com. And then his organization, he's now the, the uh, executive vice president is EMPTaskForce.us, correct? That's right. EMPTaskForce.us, Executive Vice President David Pine. David, congratulations. Thank you so much. Appreciate your being with us. Yeah, great to be with you again. David Pine checking in. Check out his site, dpyne.substack.com, davidpine.substack.com. Now, folks, I don't mention it very much lately because I'm so busy with so many other things. But after these last couple of interviews, let me, and particularly that one right there and the one we're about to have, tell me, can you tell me this? Why have you not, if you haven't gone here to this website, wvwtvstore.com. Do you know that right now we have shipping on our freeze-dried food half off? Half off. For, that's going to save you hundreds of dollars. Some of you are going to save several hundred dollars. And I don't know, maybe next week I'll decide to put it back, the pricing of the, you know, end it put the pricing for shipping back at 100%. But right now, the shipping on our freeze-dried food is half off. So you might want to take advantage of it, all right? Wait, just go up to the website, wvwtvstore.com, emergency food supplies, click that, all emergency food supplies, it'll pop up and you'll find them. Three months, six months, a year, two year, gluten-free, uh, meat, real meat, uh, we've got veggie and fruit, uh, we have breakfast kit, all of it, wvwtvstore.com, wvwtvstore.com. We have emergency kits as well that are medical emergency kits. So if you have a nurse or doctor in your neighborhood uh, that can do stitches, then get an emergency kit because we have an infrastructure crash. Uh, you're not just going to go and sit in line and, and, and be guaranteed service. 
but you have emergency, you have emergency kit, you could probably get a few stitches by a nurse or doctor in the neighborhood who otherwise would say, yeah, I could do it. You got the, do you have the sutures? And you're going to say, yes, I do. Well, then, all right, let's do this. So have some of your own supplies on hand. We sold about 600 of these in about an eight-week period last year. Israeli gas masks, those are available. So again, www.tvstore.com. A lot of emergency gear, and I think you should take advantage of it. Again, particularly the freeze-dried food right now is half off on shipping on the emergency freeze-dried food. All right. Uh, let me take you real quick, if I can, guys, to Melissa. Melissa, spell it right, Brandon. Melissa House, H-O-W-S-E-B-G. By the way, tonight is my 33rd wedding anniversary. Uh, yes, I took my wife out to dinner over the weekend, gave her a beautiful gift, got her a dozen red roses today. So she is she's being very patient to let me be on the air tonight, folks. Um, or maybe she's like, yes, go be on the air. Let me have some quiet time. I don't know. I'll we'll have to ask her. But here we go, MelissaHouseBG.com, MelissaHouseBG.com. This is the, uh, the elixir I take twice a day. I took it actually before I came into the studio earlier today. It's about time to take another one right now. I might do this while uh, Colonel Rob is talking here. Uh, this comes with collagen, top drawer collagen, astraxanthin, which crosses the blood-brain blood barrier, loaded with antioxidants to take on those free radicals. And it's got cat's claw, which is an anti-inflammatory, has over uh, about 80 clinical trials, about 80 clinical trials you can read about. Get your subscription. Click the order now. You can get a box and try it. But folks, uh, let me tell you something. Over 80% of our viewers uh, are ordering this and they continue the subscription. What does that tell you? So just go ahead and get the subscription. Have it show up. Now, another way I think you can support us and help yourself is by going to superfoodshouse.com superfoodshouse.com. It's a big page, so it takes a minute to load. This is basically a vegetable shake or a fruit shake. You take uh, carrots, for instance, out of the field. They're not sprayed with uh, glyphosate, Roundup, that kind of thing. They come out of the field. They go right into the facility. They do the juicing. Then they freeze dry it. So it is a powder, comes in a, a little bag, whatever it is you want, the dark berry protein, the carrot, whatever you want, mix it with water and boom, you're drinking uh, a great healthy drink and don't have to worry about all the expense of juicing. Many, many of you have signed up for this. So thank you because it's a great way to support your health, I believe, and us as well. So again, thank you for doing some of these things to support your health and us at the same time. Melissa is on the 30-day plan. Now you don't have to do the 30-day plan, but if you wanna just order the individual drinks, just add water and do it. Sustainably farmed, organic, non-GMO superfoods. They're perfect addition to any lifestyle, plant-based proteins, high antioxidant fruits, organic greens and vegetables, plus you got gut health. Okay, so there you go. Check it out, superfoodshouse.com, superfoodshouse.com. Joining me now is Colonel Rob Manis. He was the commander of Kirkland Air Force Base. He also was in part of the Pentagon. Very few people are even allowed to go into dealing with the nuclear uh, systems here in the U.S. and around the world and nuclear deterrence. And he was involved in uh, helping to write the nuclear manual that the president uh, needs to know about for the nuclear football. And so he's going to join us. He is also a regular daily broadcaster at Patriot.tv. Uh, Colonel, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for joining us. Good evening, Brandon. Uh, thanks for having me on and happy anniversary. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. 
Um, I would like to get a couple responses before we go to the nuclear football, folks. I got a couple videos I think you'll find are pretty cool. And this gentleman right here can tell us an awful lot about it. Now, you probably heard our last guest. Do you, do you know, by the way, David Pine? Do you know David? I know him because we're both colleagues on the Committee on Present Danger of China, so, but I've never met him personally. Uh, I do follow him, read his writings, uh, and those kind of things. Excellent. Well, look at that. You guys already know each other through that organization. So before we move to a new topics, I do want to at least get your response to this. Biden administration was working behind closed doors to dissuade Russia from testing a space weapon. I don't know if you heard our conversation because I was saying, you know, what's the what what is this all about? I mean, how do you do a space test of a super EMP? And he's saying, I don't think you really do. You just carry it out. What is going on here in your mind? What kind of, you know, is, as he said, the CIA or somebody putting out propaganda here and for what purpose? And uh, is Putin... Uh, is he just simply willing to exercise the options at his, uh, you know, avail? Uh, should the U.S. and NATO keep pushing him into a corner? What is all this about? Why now? We have another headline here uh, that the uh, U.S. is warning, if I can find it here in all these articles. Uh, why, why, again, is the U.S. warning about this? What's making all this come up on the screen now? Uh, great questions, you know, and uh, listening to Mr. Pine uh, talk, he hit a lot of those points. Uh, but one of the things that I didn't hear uh, is that uh, is that Mike Turner uh, released this information as if it was something new, uh, you know, and uh, and it's not new. This is not a new desire for our adversaries to have high altitude or or space based electromagnetic pulse weapons. As a matter of fact, we've, we've always known that uh, Russia's nuclear forces are an existential threat to the United States, as Mr. Pine said. Uh, and we've always known that operationally in their weapons planning for their nuclear forces, they like to start with high altitude electromagnetic pulse detonations, which create an EMP wave so that they could take out America's electronic systems. We try to harden our, our key nuclear command and control and communications uh, systems. But you know what? One of the things that I'm very concerned about, and I, and I know uh, your previous guest is, is that we've done a lot of work on those platforms, uh, especially since 9-11, that has changed them electronically. And the digital age has changed electronics. And quite frankly, I don't think anybody really knows how EMP hardened our critically important assets like the nuclear command and control and communication system, which gets the president's order uh, to respond to a nuclear attack to the forces so that they can launch. And the reason that's important is because you have to have a reliable system that in the enemy's mind, it will be too risky for them to take on this attack and attempt to take out the United States through such a means. Uh, so, so that's a big big challenge and a big concern. And that's what makes this EMP issue such a threat. And it always has. Why are they doing it now? Well, uh, as we've talked about before, Brandon, the, uh, the uh, budget package, the supplemental mm -hmm. to go mm -hmm. to the Ukraine is, was right there. Uh, it was already being voted on in the Senate. The House uh, Speaker, Speaker Johnson, has said, you know, it's DOA uh, because the we want to work on sealing the southern border from the invasion. 100,000 Chinese military-aged males. Think about that. Uh, so that's the one of the issues. The other issue is that, did you know that at the same time, there was some headway being made by those of us that support 
either reforming or removing what's called the FISA 702 uh, authority from the FBI, which is the tool that they used in the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act to spy on Americans and violate our Fourth Amendment rights every minute of every single day using our own domestic law enforcement and intelligence agencies. And that was tabled shortly after this information was released by Mike Turner. Uh, and uh, that's two of the reasons I believe that they're bringing this issue up now. But I'd also like you to think about this, Brandon. There's a reason why Donald J. Trump created the United States Space Force oh, yeah. as oh, yeah. a fledgling separate military branch of the U.S. Armed Forces. And that's because we've always known that this capability has been sought after by Russia and China and any other adversary that's capable of entering orbit in space and putting a payload up there. Uh, and they want some capability like that. And, and Mr. Pine is exactly right. You cannot test it uh, on orbit uh, using a super EMP nuclear detonation. We don't know. Uh, as a matter of fact, the the uh, adversary doesn't really know how much damage it would do to the atmosphere and how much a negative effect it would have on their forces and their capabilities because it's too far out and unknown to be able to predict when you when you're doing that kind of attack outside of the atmosphere, but close enough to have an EMP effect on such a broad part of the world, like the entire country of the United States from coast to coast, and that's what would happen. So it is an existential threat. Uh, it's a real threat, uh, uh, but it's not an unknown. It's not been an unknown for a long time, and there are nefarious reasons for them to put this information So here out. it is today, February 21st. I mean, this is their New York Times and Yahoo today, February 21st, 2024. U.S. warns allies Russia could put a nuclear weapon into orbit this year. Uh, 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 newsflash is what you're saying. This is not new. China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. This is not new. They probably already have them. Not new at all. As a matter of fact, if they have an ICBM missile, they already have the capability to do it. As I said, their operational weapons planning for their war plans against us all include high altitude electromagnetic bur uh, pulse bursts from nuclear warheads uh, above the country and at the coasts of the country. Uh, and that, that would create that EMP effect. If it's in space though, uh, and can maneuver silently and, and we don't know it's there and they pull the trigger on that, say it's China and Russia together and, and one over each coast uh, and completely decimate the electronics uh, and the communication systems in the United States, uh, and we've weakened, whether it's intentional or not, our nuclear command and control uh, and communications uh, EMP hardening over the years by the modifications we've had to make to fight other wars, uh, then that's a grave risk to the United States and why we have a space force, why we needed one, and why we need to get on the ball and instead of sitting back, uh, as your previous guest noted, and saying we're not going to defend ourselves from attacks like this or be capable of that. We need to put our packages together and put our defenses together and get moving on orbital defense uh, capabilities through our U.S. Space Force and turn it into something that's a defensive force and capable of removing this kind of threat when it arises. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that we could even detect it at this point. Wow. Uh, let's transition real quick the last few minutes. I know there's a lot of documentaries put out there about the White House, about Air Force One, about the nuclear football. The American people really like to kind of look behind the curtain 
because you know everybody likes to know what it is that others know that they maybe don't know when it comes to these kind of topics. And of course, when it comes to the documentaries, whether by National Geographic or others, there's things that they can't say when they do a big, beautiful documentary on Air Force One and they're given some access. There's a lot of things that are not revealed for national security reasons. Same thing is true when they talk about certain things about the White House or certain things related to the nuclear football. So I know you're going to have to be careful because you particularly worked in the area of the nuclear football and the manual for that uh, briefcase that carries those nuclear codes for the president, correct? Uh, that's correct. Okay. So with that being said, we'll be very careful. If you can't answer something I asked, just say so. Let me start out with a little little video. Uh, tell me if this is even accurate. Listen to this, guys. It's the nightmare scenario that every president and his chief of staff must face. The possibility of activating the football. The briefcase equipped with codes for launching a nuclear attack. When the football is passed from one administration to another, it underscores that the sacred responsibility of any president is commander in chief to protect the security of the American people. I could quickly sense from his body language and his expressions to the briefing that we were pretty much thinking the same thing as we caught each other's eye there. We knew this was going to be a heavy responsibility, and boy, were we ever right. The passing of the football occurs at high noon. Nobody says a word, but I knew what to look for. and. Uh, so you got the ceremony going down front, but up behind, uh, sort of behind one of the big pillars there on the front, these two guys are standing there in their uniform, and at the right moment, he reaches over and hands it to uh, the newly designated military aide, and he takes it from that moment up. The new president is the guy who's in control of our nuclear assets. Every morning, Alone at his desk, Jimmy Carter would spin the globe to the Soviet Union and contemplate what he would do in the event of a Soviet first strike. He prayed about having the necessary wisdom and strength and fortitude to act appropriately in that case. It was always on his mind, the idea that there could be a, a third world war under his watch. We'll hold it right there. How long has the nuclear suitcase been around? Well, since we've uh, had uh, nuclear weapons and it required the president of the United States to give the order to the nuclear forces, there's been some form of uh, that object uh, floating around out there. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it's changed over the years and uh, probably has changed since I left uh, the Air Force in uh, late 2011 somewhat. but. Uh, but we had the materials and the approach uh, and the plans uh, uh, and uh, the ability to train presidents and their military aides uh, uh, processes in place for a very long time. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons that I still have some comfort in the security of the America's nuclear command and control and communication system, because 
uh, that system represented by the football briefcase and the black book that's inside it, the nickname of it is the black book. Uh, the official title is called the Nuclear Decision Handbook. Uh, and it's got a, uh, or it used to have a seal of the Joint Chiefs of Staff on the front of it. Uh, and it's classified markings, top secret, uh, and some other verbiage uh, on there. And uh, inside it uh, is multiple pages designed to give the Commander in Chief. Uh, as flexible of amount of response options against the enemy adversaries that we know could attack us using nuclear weapons uh, so that the United States could appropriately respond and reestablish nuclear deterrence. It would be the hope uh, before going to all out nuclear World War Three. Mm. Now, do you, do you have something framed in your office that related to that book? I do. Uh, each of us that uh, worked in the project, there are seven signatures on, on the mat around the, the frame cover uh, of one of the black books that was in use during my time uh, in the office there in nuclear operations on the Joint Staff, uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, is framed. Uh, and each member that works that project uh, as one of their primary responsibilities gets the opportunity to uh, hang that on their, their I Love Me wall. We call it. <laughs> that's pretty cool, uh, though. That's, but, a, that's a great uh, conversational a, piece to show people, I'm sure. It is, and it's a, it's a solemn reminder. It occupies a space on my wall that's up high out of the, the reach of uh, young children or adults, so nobody can touch it. Uh, and, and it's a serious reminder that we live in a dangerous world even today, even though I got to be part of the military team that, took down the Soviet Union uh, without firing a nuclear weapon, uh, we still face serious threats. Uh, back to Russia, uh, they are as an existential threat with their nuclear forces against the United States today as they have always been. Uh, now, they may not be able to conventionally get past the, the Donbass and, and hold any ground uh, uh, in Europe, uh, as we're seeing is happening in Ukraine, uh, but they certainly could destroy us uh, within 30 minutes, uh, and uh, they could absolutely destroy our digital uh, environment uh, and cause lots of havoc and millions of probably deaths of Americans just by launching an EMP attack. Uh, and, uh, and again, if they do have a satellite on orbit, and I wouldn't be surprised if each of our adversaries and us already have the capability on orbit, quite honestly, mm. Brandon. Uh, but for them to be able to move that uh, in secret to the right positions to launch an attack of an EMP nature like what we're talking about before we could detect it uh, would really put us in a, a place where our response using that black book for the president of the United States might be questionable because of the potential risks that we've created in our own nuclear command and control system by the changes that we've made through uh, with our EMP hardening hmm. and those kind of things. So now, it's a threat. Uh, we need to address it now, again, better I than we have. I don't want to ask any questions that I shouldn't ask. So if I do, please just say I can't answer that. Uh, when you look at, you know, that briefcase and you know what's in it and the manual uh, and you've got, particularly with, you know, the Satan II and this, hypersonic missile of the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, to skip on the atmosphere. We don't know what the trajectory is from 
liftoff uh, with the old trajectory. I guess a computer could calculate it and tell us pretty where it was going to go in the time frame. Now, as it skips on the atmosphere, some of it is stealth. Dr. Peter Vincent Pry talked about that with us extensively. You know, the, the time could go from 30 minutes down to just mere minutes before you know, before you see it, because of the stealth capability that's reported to be available to the, the former Soviet Union with their technology in the fifth and sixth generation warfare. What 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 is the what would be the frame of mind if the president were, you know, out at an event and he's immediately called out off the podium? And I'm assuming that wherever he goes to speak, there is a secure room where he has communication set up. He can go into that room pretty much wherever he goes to, to, for this very reason. And this briefcase is opened up. The manual's thrown on the desk. And he's now, I guess, got multiple aides that travel with him, including the young man that's carrying this, or young lady that's carrying this nuclear football. They're speaking at him. And I'm guessing there's a very organized chaos where people are trying not to talk on top of each other, but are rattling after him, one after another, his national security advisor, who, the joint chief of staff, whoever they've gotten on the phone from your command center in the Pentagon or wherever it might be. There's got to be some kind of organized chaos where he's getting the information he needs, but where he's not getting it, where everybody's talking on top of each other. How do you rehearse something like that? And how does a, a president do that in that moment? In other words, have they rehearsed this so many times that this is now very natural for them or not? Well, uh, first of all, the aides, the military aides, they're all commissioned officers uh, uh, and they're all uh, at the top of their game. So they are the highest performers that the services can offer up at that rank. Uh, and they're trained by those of us uh, that uh, worked on the Black Book Project within the Pentagon. At so you the time. would have been one of the guys uh, to train them. You would have been one of the guys to train well, the I guy. wouldn't, but I would provide materials for the individual that trained them. There was one person. Uh, in our office that provided that training to the aides and to the president, because we want a consistent voice talking to them. Uh, and uh, that person uh, would always be the same. Uh, and the training would always be the same. Uh, it would be in, in a location that was highly secure. Uh, and most of the time, the media would, uh, would get it wrong what the president was actually doing when he was being trained uh, on, the, on the Black Book. Uh, and uh, the one president that I was in the room with uh, loved joking about it because he loved he loved getting one over on the uh, media at the time. They were not very friendly to him. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, uh, but that one voice, that individual, as long as he or she is assigned to the Duke Ops Division and is responsible for that is always that voice. And, and they spend a lot of more time with the uh, aides uh, and with folks that have that book in the command and control nodes uh, so that uh, that voice is, gets to the president each and every time. And it's that military aide that opens the book for the president, provides the options after the intel brief of, of about what has happened that's causing them to open that book. So it's the same person. But that briefing, I know the, mu briefing. the music's playing, but that briefing that they're going to get is going to have to be done in just a matter of minutes, correct? I mean, this we don't have much time, right. particularly with this. Why they don't all, that's why we don't always have a secure location like a skiff to take them to. It's probably just going to be a back room. It could be even a freight elevator in a hotel. Wow.
Colonel Rob Manis, his daily show. What time's your show at Patriot.tv? Noon every day, noon central? Noon central, 1 p.m. Eastern for one hour every day. Patriot.tv live. Patriot.tv with our hard launch coming this Monday. Thank you, Colonel. Watch him every day, folks. Patriot.tv. I'm Brandon House. May God save America. Take care.